Welcome to another episode of Nipe Story. This is a fortnightly podcast that brings you audio versions of short stories from Kenya and across the continent. I'm your host, Kevin Mwachiro. On this episode, we're featuring Eureka by Pasalelo Kantai. You don't know how far you've fallen down in this world until you see yourself crawling up a carao's face on a Friday night. You're slobbering and gagging over your short time, ignoring the aftertaste of condom coming into your nostrils from the back of your throat, like hot coffee bumbling in the machine on a Sunday morning a long time ago. You lather and stroke. Your head bobs like a bar of soap in bath water. You can feel his getting close. There's commotion far away, beyond the squeak of rubber screaming in your ears and your short time is fumbling around you like he lost something important in your pubic hair. He finds your breast. He's clutching you like a handbag thief on Moya Avenue. His thing grows larger in your mouth, then trembles. And the thing in your mouth grows soft and your jaws are aching. And then there's a tap on the window. And right there on the uniformed policeman's face, you see yourself. The clock dial on the dashboard of the Land Rover says it's 2.35 a.m. The car park is empty, save for the junkery and wreckage of old government vehicles. The lorry is sitting on stones because nobody could find a spare part for the alternator. The grey shells of military Land Rovers with hibiscuses and bougainvilleas growing in them because they have not been moved since the attempted coup in 1982. Up Harithuku Road is the central police station, which is right now bursting with street girls like yourself, unlucky enough to have been caught tonight. They will do what you have just done and pay the policeman for it. Across the road is the Norfolk Hotel, where you have just been with the Mzungu, where your eyes met across the Delamere Terrace. In the old days, Muzungus used to shoot Africans passing by for sport from the Delamere Terrace. Now, you suck on their penises for 500 shillings per half hour. <laughs> the fruits of independence come in strange ways. This is the short-time car park. It is guarded by the police. In the dimness, the carao looks like a phone booth with a moustache. He glistens like he has just been dipped in oil. The light bounces off his dark face, his cap low so that the whites of his eyes startle you when you see them. He's wearing one of those luminous green police coats and he's looking straight at you, making you cover your breasts with your hands. The Mzungu rolls down his window a little way. He had switched on the radio. It blares news of a war in a place with an unpronounceable name. The Mzungu told you he liked to listen to the BBC during... He had said it with a shy smile. His voice was that of a boy. His face with the rabbit's teeth and the beaky nose and the bushy eyebrows over eyes that learned somewhere long ago that the best way to look straight at a man is to squint. His face was that of a man of this world. And world news turns him on. Terribly sorry, sir. I'm afraid we got rather carried away. Namzungu's voice is imported from England. Cough syrup and charcoal crackling. A half laugh that sounds like a wheeze. You want to giggle. His trousers are around his ankles. His shirt halfway up his belly. 
He still has his jacket and tie on, says, carried away like a boardroom meeting that got a little heated. He gropes in the dark, looking for something in his trouser pockets. In the dimness, you make out his wallet. He picks out two notes and passes them through the crack in the window without looking. He is not prepared for the gunshot. The bullet goes in through the driver's window and out through yours. You hear the gunshot from one side and the ping and the spark of the metal on the rusted rim of the Nissan Avon parked next to you. One moment, you're behind the safety of tinted windows, and in a blink, you are covered in glass. You're relieved to find that you are not hurt. You're not sure whether the voice with the hoarse scream is yours saying, Shut up! Shut up! But you can make out the charcoal-slip voice of a man who only hears about violence on the radio. And he's saying, what the fuck? What the fuck? In university English. It is a mistake to argue with a man with a gun. It is a mistake to listen to the bubble and note in your small intestines. The rise of panic in your throat forcing you to say without thinking, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? You can't touch me. It is a mistake to pull out your passport from your jacket and hold it up as if it is a weapon. And to keep saying over and over again, do you know what this is? As if a piece of paper can be your shield and defender at a time like this. To keep saying diplomatic immunity, as if you're a school teacher in a village class and the children want to share those words with you, like roast kidney and ugali on Easter Sunday. It is a mistake that ignorant white men in Africa cannot hear often enough. How old are you? asks the corral, as if it is very important that he knows. The barrel of his pistol rests against the Mzungu's head. The corral has a torch in his other hand. His head is halfway inside the car, close enough for you and the Mzungu to smell the smoky aroma of a recent cigarette on his breath. You find that you are staring into the corral's moustache, and the torchlight is almost blinding. So you get cross-eyed from the staring and find yourself back in your father's house. He is sitting in an old chair, pulling off his shoes, and you are a little girl, standing before him with his dinner, waiting and silent, and wondering whether the food sometimes gets trapped in his moustache. The light moves from your face and you can finally exhale. You find yourself traveling with the light down your face, your breasts and stomach, so yellow and blotched and blotted that they feel like they belong to somebody else. The light circles your groin, licks your thighs. It rests briefly on your G-string on the floor next to a bunch of tissues and the torn condom wrapping. It pans across the leather seats, the music system, the dashboard with its wood paneling. You spot your earring in the gear stick pouch, the one that you bought that Tuesday at Masai Market when you went shopping for your new life with Hrot. The store woman was charging 800 bob for it and you brought her down to 400. Or you'd move with your Mzungu tourist to another store. <laughs> you were so confident then. And now your earring is trapped in the gear stick pouch. It is making a bulge, making you think of lip plates and those women in one of Hood's coffee table books on African beauty. How old are you, sir? None of your business. I have diplomatic immunity. You have traveled with the torchlight to the Mzungu's thing. 
You're a spectator peering into the wreckage of a bus accident. The scene has been evacuated. The thing lies lifeless beneath the mountain of his belly. You watch the condom sliding off. It falls silently between the Mzungu's legs. You notice idly how white his legs are, like something on an x-ray sheet. The carao does not shift the light of the torch, even when the condom begins to ooze. Even when a slow trickle of fluid begins making its way towards the Mzungu's buttocks. All you hear is that the Mzungu has fallen silent. Then there's the sound of another trickle when you hear a click from the pistol and the Mzungu starts babbling again. How old are you, sir? The Karao emphasizes every word. I, f- 45 years old. He falls back into the leather and runs a hand through his hair. The torchlight stops moving. How old are you? He's talking to you. Sixteen, you say automatically. He shines the torch in your face again. He laughs for the first time. A dry, heaving sound. Sita Orisa Tena. His Kiswahili sounds like it was manufactured in your village, but he doesn't hide the threat. I won't ask you again. The Mzungu glances at you quickly, curiously. He was telling you before at the Delamere Terrace what he liked doing with little girls. You said, 2,000 bob for a short time, 5,000 bob for the night. The love left his eyes and he said, for a girl like you, nothing more than 500. You said, okay, you knew a place. Ishirini Nasita, you find yourself saying, your teeth are chattering. You think it's from the cold coming from the windows. You are 26 years old, past your sell-by date, Ruth has said. You laughed with him. Je pense qu'il faut que tu You thought it was a birthday joke. By this time, other carouse would have already walked away. A thousand bob richer. Two, if they talked nicely. They would have peered in on the scene, gently tapped on the window, and stretched out a hand. The man in the car with the trousers around his ankles would have coughed laughed. His fingers would pick out some notes, pass them through the half-opened window. The carao would walk away, nodding vigorously, his eyes agreeing with a stupid grin playing on his mouth like a jumbo Africa band at a tourist hotel. But the, the way this one looked at you, and he didn't know you had seen him watching as you mouthed off the mzungu, He had a look of an insect that had burrowed itself underneath his skin and was crawling up his face. And you, not the mzungu with a thing the size of a flea bite, you were that insect. That is why you know somebody is going to die. When you get out of committee prison, you'll be 60 years old, sir. You can feel the rumble of panic rising from the mzungu. There is no diplomatic immunity for child molesters in Kenya. And even now, the Karao has not blown your cover. You are 16 again. You are 16 and out on the town. Friday night on Koinange Street in downtown Nairobi, and all you can see are the red lights of cars soundlessly gliding, windows tinted. Malays with handkerchiefs for skirts. Ostriches in heels, clattering after red lights, tail lights, brake lights. 
and up and down the streets, the calls of Honey! Honey! will echo in the darkness until it becomes grey and the sounds of other birds take over. You have been among the ostriches for two weeks, maybe less, and every night you learn how there is nothing new under the sun. The cackle and blow smoke in your face when you speak of a lost and painful childhood where you became your mother after she died, washing and cleaning and carrying the house during the day and carrying the weight of your father between your legs at night because, he said, you are now old enough to carry the family flag. They tell you to save it. Everybody has a copy of that story. You can sell it for an extra 500 bob to a sad man in the short-time car park. They tell you that you, in particular, need every little extra that you can get. That you are too small, too skinny, and too dark. You don't stand a chance against a long line of short, plump, and brown ostriches. They tell you to soak in jig, to use ambient olive yule, or those little tablets from China that the Congolese girls like because... In two weeks, the men will be asking you if your father was a German tourist. They call you Marubu. They say it because you are tall, skinny, and dark. That all you can expect from the street is garbage, like the Marubu stalk. And it is true. You only get lucky towards the end of the night when the good girls have gone off with the men in the soundless cars and the prices have dropped. You become a specialist in sad men with straggly beards and creaky cars that smell of sleep, sweaty socks and half-smoked cigarettes. During the day, you live in a hall in the wall just off Kirinyaga Road, among the refugees and illegals, the Congolese, the Rwandese and others, some Beninois who can never fully explain how and why they came halfway across a continent to idle around and plait each other's hair and cook pounded banana and cassava in three different peppery sauces. But you like them. These people who talk about Brussels as if it is their village. And when you ask them who has ever been there, they do something complicated with their mouths, roll their eyes and turn away. They say with their mouths drooping and their wrists limp, and their palms asking a question. You're a Kenyan girl. You know nothing. They tell you how much you'll have to save to buy the Chinese pills, and you despair. But Lingala is music to your ears. An endless succession of Franco and Kofi Olamide and Wenge Muzika streamed through tiny cassette players at all hours of day and night. You want to know what Bolingo means or Motema Nangai. On the stairs at the entrance of the tenement where everybody sits around after lunch, talking about nothing in particular because they are really listening to the music and waiting for the night, you learn how to move your waist and your inner thigh muscles while holding your shoulders completely still, your face communicating that you are appalled at what your buttocks are doing. And everybody rolls about and laughs until they are crying and saying, Maribu Kenyan girl, are si vous play? You kill us, you kill us, you know nothing, you know nothing at all. You grasp at a friend that floats along the dim, narrow corridors of the tenement, snatch the last ends of sentences bouncing against your plywood partition. You learn it in the way people learn songs from radios playing in the upstairs room. Japon kill Fokotu Ai. And always you will hear those words and see men leaving 
tucking in their shirts and doing their belt buckles in the corridor. In a formidable Congolese woman standing by a door, a flurry less so tucked under her armpits, looking ready for war if he dared show his face here again. It means I think you should get the folk out. Somebody tells you one day after you've heard it a million times and don't care that you look stupid if you ask. Then you meet Khut. Stop, your Rwandese friend, who is almost your height and yellow like a mango in season, has told you, no work tonight. We go party like regular people. She likes you because of the way you refused to laugh when she told you the story of her name. She tells the story as if she's still annoyed by the whole business. That she is the eighth child in her family, and when her mother was in labor having her, she screamed, stop, in English, so loudly that her father had her from the village bar a kilometer away. Stop must have also had it because it took a day and a half to make her way down the birth canal. It is only then that her father, who did not understand English, and her mother, who did not speak the language either, and is still puzzled where the word came from. It was then that they knew that this was to be their last child. You've put on jeans and a t-shirt in a New York Knicks baseball camp that you bought for 50 shillings on the streets. You're at Madhouse Discotheque on Koinanga Street with all the ostriches who have made the step up from chasing red lights on the streets downstairs. You have been told, but you have never seen that this work of yours is a ladder. The street ostriches all want to climb up the stairs to Madhouse and the ostriches already up the stairs want to dance into Amzungu's life because Amzungu has wings that will carry you over the hills and far away to Europe. Stop is at the counter buying another round of cold beers and a second packet of sweet menthols because you already have your habit of smoking too much when you drink. You are alone at the table, so intent on the two ostriches in the middle of the dance floor flicking each other with their tongues that you do not even sense that there's a man staring at you. It is only when the ostriches slowly turn away from their kiss and start watching you that you come back to yourself. And you see him. He has an eye patch over his eye and he's supporting himself with a crutch. He's wearing a bush green jacket, a black shirt and trousers that can possibly be purple. It must be the disco lights. You see that his hair flops over his ears and that if he wasn't so bent and angry, he would look exactly like one of those cute little dogs in the foreign magazines. You also see that he was young a long time ago. That is how you were discovered. It was only years later that it occurred to you that Stop never returned from the counter with the pilsners and the cigarettes. By that time, you were a different person, surrounded by flashing cameras and fashion journalists in New York and London and Paris and Milan. What you remember from that night, as clearly as if it were yesterday, was Hoth exclaiming over and over, You wreck her! You wreck her! You became, in a very short time, a new person. Hot made arrangements for you to obtain a new wardrobe and a new identity. He was not in favor of your New York Knicks baseball cap and your jeans and t-shirt. He said you needed to look more African. So you went with him to Maasai Market on a Tuesday afternoon and bought an armful of jewelry and red and blue wraps and shawls, the shukas, that made you so famous. You were surprised when at his house in Runda, 
he was boasting that one of his neighbors was a cabinet minister and another a European ambassador. He whipped out his bush knife and began ripping up the shukas because what was the point of buying new things only to destroy them? You are not happy when he told you to strip down to nothing and to put on the torn shukas. Or when he gave you a rusty old rifle and told you to stand under a tree next to an old Mercedes whose tires had been replaced with stones so that he could take an endless round of photographs. This is why in those early photographs of yourself in the fashion magazines, you're looking as if your mother had just died in a war-torn country. You were surprised when at the point of his crisis, that first time you made love, Hort called you my Sudanese girl. You told him you were not Sudanese, but he said not to worry, that people can be whatever they want to be. He told you that Sudan was hot at the moment and that if you behaved yourself, you could be the new Alec Wek. He laughed when you asked him what Alec Wek was. Not what Dalek Wek who. Alec Wek is a very famous African model in Europe and America. You are beautiful like her. Then he kissed you very gently. At that exact moment that you understood that you were in love for the first time, he kissed you on the forehead and said, you can be here. Hot told you that he used to be a soldier of fortune. I shoot the war in Congo, the war in Sudan, Sud, even the genocide in Rwanda. After I take the pictures, I sell to the one who pays the most. There are so many magazines in Europe that want this kind of image. I, how you say, a soldier of fortune? It was from all these places that he collected the old guns. He put them in a cabinet in his sitting room. But it is ugly business, very ugly. So much blood. The African slaughters the other African. Like, le, le animal, the animal. And to take these pictures is just to, is, is, is just to spread the sadness, the ugliness in the world. So I go back home to Brussels and think, what am I going to do? But I love Africa. It is in the blood, so I must return. Another night when you had exhausted each other in his bed and was smoking a triumphant cigarette, he told you how he had discovered his life's mission after his motorcycle accident in the streets of Brussels how he would change himself and bring beauty to the world. Then I was lying in the hospital without the leg, without the eye. I said to myself, there is no drama in mortal cycle accident in Brussels. So how I give myself the drama? So I think that if that is, uh, so I stepped onto a landmine in Eastern Congo, then there is drama in that. And I think, again, that now I must come back to Africa looking for, for the African beauty. How it can be so easy to put the drama in the beauty because in Europe there is no drama anymore. It is all poof. And he made that complicated expression of the illegals on Kirinyaga Road of rolling his eyes and blowing out his cheeks. So I come back and for three months, rain, nothing. Every night I'm going out and the girls, they look like, how you say, ostrich? They have thin legs, very thin. And they wear high heels and lipstick and they're yellow. Not dark like true African woman. Not like you. And he kissed you on the forehead 
and stare lovingly into your eyes. So that night when I see you in the disco, I say to myself, Eureka, may we have found it. Roth was alarmed by your second-hand knowledge of Brussels about how you talked about the market in Matonge, which he insisted was called Excel, with the smells of frying fish and roasted cassava and Congolese music in the air, and about Le Emanikin Peace, the little boy who urinates in public near Le Grand Place. He said, we can't have you talking about that. You must remember that you're a child soldier from Sudan whom I discovered resting under a tree in Ye County near the border, and not having eaten in three days. He said, you have to remember that. Also, do not forget that your mother was raped by soldiers and got pregnant with you only to die in a hail of bullets at childbirth. He said, drama was what would make the world love you. Such a beautiful creature rescued from such ugliness. You remember when you were on the aeroplane going to Europe thinking how true it was when the ostriches said that the Mzungu had wings. You remember seeing your photograph of a rusty gun uh, tattered shuka from Maasai Market on the cover of a magazine in Europe and how Hoth said this was your plane ticket to success. You were surprised about how these Mzungus would get out of their handkerchiefs and tissues every time you repeated your story of a child soldier. Later, when you were so busy and the name Maribu was on everybody's lips and on the sides of buses and the cover of magazines, you started telling Hot that it was very kind of him to buy you all these nice clothes and to pay the rent and take you wherever you wanted to go. But could he also pay for you to improve your English for the times you would wake up in London or maybe your French for when you were in Paris at a fashion show? And he told you that bubbles would burst if you did that. And your plane ticket to success would be taken away if you started talking like a professor. The world loved you, silent and sad with your African beauty. And you still did not know why the world woke up one morning and stopped loving you. All that you know is that nobody was making calls to Hroth anymore so that you could get onto the metro to go for a shoot. You are no longer on the side of buses. Instead, you are a student at the market in Matonge. You were learning economics and history and the mathematics of how far you can fall when your country goes to war from the Rwandese and the Congolese and all those other professors who masquerade as second-hand clothes sellers, fishmongers and market women. It felt as if you were back on Kirinyagorod. So you can say that at least you were happy like in those days of your hole in the wall. Then Khot disappeared. When he returned all those difficult weeks later, when you had almost given up on this love of your life, he was saying, Eureka! There was a girl with him, as yellow as stop, and she was smiling and clutching his arm as if she was a yellow version of you when you first arrived. Hot said that Sudan was not hot anymore. The drama was now in Angola as if you were a man doing up his belt buckle in a corridor on Kirinyaga Road. He said to you, Je pense kel fa kol tu a. That was the day you knew you needed to become a new person again. The market women in Matonge were very helpful. They gave you the Chinese pills on credit. They said that if you wish for something too much, you should also worry about how you will receive it. Maybe... That is why when you are living in some unspeakable tenement in Matonge with the Congolese women, 
and you were so ill that you thought you were going to die. They were kind enough to raise the money for your plane ticket back to Kenya. You're certain that is why you're back in the short time parking after all these years. A plump, yellow ostrich whose skin did not take well to hydroquinine with Amzungu who's yelling about diplomatic immunity. You want to tell him to shut up. That if he could shut up, he would only lose the mask that he wears. You try to tell him that life is a masquerade and there are wars being fought everywhere. But the Mzungu refuses to be quiet. And Rafiq, your new partner in this work of stripping people of what they have because nothing is ever given for free, is looking at you with that strange expression when the gun goes off and the world falls silent. Pasalelo Kantai is an investigative journalist, writer and editor. His work has been published in several anthologies. Eureka was shortlisted for the 2009 Kane Prize for African Writing. Nipes Story is available to download from your preferred podcast platform. And please do me a favor, write a review and rate the podcast so that others can find it easily. Tell your friends and family about Nipe. Follow us here on SoundCloud too and on Facebook where Nipe Story and on Twitter our handle is Nipe underscore story. We're looking for short stories of between 750 to 4,000 words, so email your stories to producer at fingerpiano.co.ke if you'd like to submit your short story for consideration. Looking forward to hearing from you. Nipe Story is a Finger Piano production. <laughs>